Welcome to Modern Sales, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business owners, and salespeople looking to have more and better conversations with your perfect clients. You'll get a healthy scoop of psychology, behavioral economics, and sales studies to help you create win-win relationships. I'm your host, Liston Witherell, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Modern Sales. It is getting harder and harder and more expensive to acquire new clients. And in fact, I will be talking very soon about a theory I have, which is that the cost of sale in an existing market will always increase. Bad news, maybe. But today's guest is somewhat familiar with this idea, and that's because he works at a company called Prospect.io. So they make a software that integrates both finding people's email addresses and sending them email sequences in order to start a conversation with them. It can be used in lots of different ways. I use software like it in order to reach out to people to be on my podcast, for instance, like him. (laughs) He was reached through this kind of software. I use it in order to prospect. I use it in order to make connections and content partnerships, kind of like this podcast. I use it for a lot of different reasons, but one thing that I'm finding is that the cost of the sale is increasingly going to rise. And so I asked today's guest, Forrester, who's in charge of acquisition over at prospect.io, about his thoughts on the escalating cost of sales and in particular acquisition and getting that first meeting. I've heard some people say that the primary challenge of sales now is getting into a conversation. I don't totally agree with that, but it is a large challenge. And so today we'll be having a wide ranging conversation about prospecting itself, about how LinkedIn plays into it and how content marketing plays into this and about some of Forrester's thoughts about the future of prospecting and email outreach. And now my interview with Forrester of prospect.io. So your product is designed to help with email outreach. And in every study that I've seen in the last five years or so, it's getting harder and more expensive to get replies from email outreach, as you must know. Why is that? And how should companies think about solving this problem? Well, the thing is, it's hard to get replies simply because there are so many emails going around and most of it is spam and people have less and less time and people are expected to multitask much more. And I'm not sure it's getting harder and harder. It's probably reached a, like a threshold where it's just hard. The way our tool is designed and the way we try to educate our customers and the way I write the blog and everything, well, generally, I mean... It's just simple rules. If you want to get someone to reply, you need to make it personal. You need to appeal to you need to make it short and yeah, try to appeal to them and make it all about them instead of about you. That's really the thing. Just picture the email you would want to receive. I know that's a bit vague. So that's why I tend to go with a like five-step approach. Mm-hmm. Which is what? To write in cold emails. So to me, there are five steps in a cold email. The first one is you need to grab the attention. Second is you need to state why you're writing and why you're writing to them personally. 
then you need to come with some benefits, state some actual benefits. Then for step credentials, like why should they trust you? Why should they believe you? And then five, call to action. So I'll just come back to each of these elements. So first, grabbing the attention. Yeah, it's super important because, yeah, the attention span of people, especially in business, is is pretty short. So you got to make sure that from the get-go, from the first sentence, you're saying something that appeals to them and that's going to make the email or the message matter to them. It can be anything like mention a blog post they've written or around the funding they've just secured. Make sure the first sentence is not straight to business, but captures the attention of the of the person you're you're writing to. And then, yeah, second step, get to business. State why you're writing. In some cases, it doesn't apply, but in 99% of them, it does. Like, go straight, hey, I'm writing to you because I see that you have experience with this in that company and our product allows to do this, this, and this. Or we can help you achieve this, this, and this. So go right ahead. It's one sentence of why you're writing and why to them. It should be more than one or two sentences. And then you need to come up with some clear benefits, like something that very clear, very precise that they'll be able to implement or that they're going to be able to benefit from. Like, for example, hey, we saw your website. It's really nice, but we saw two things that you could do to clearly improve conversions. Or our tool can help you cut your time prospecting by four, for example. The more numbers you have, the more concrete examples you have, the better. And then four is credentials. So pretty much, hey, you've got their attention. They know what you're writing about and they know how they could potentially benefit from working with you, but they don't know you. They've never heard about you. So you need to show them that you're trustworthy, that you've done this before with good results, what qualifies you to work with them and provide those benefits. And when that's done, you cannot just say, hey, thanks for your attention or thanks for reading or bye or anything. Everything you've said up to that point leads to the most like critical part, which is the call to action. Because when you send a business email, it's all about moving the process forward. It's all about getting to that point where you're going to ask them, all right, so where to next? So you need to call them to action with, hey, let me know when you have time to chat. Please book a call in my agenda or please download this file if you're interested. Just go with something very precise that that's going to get them to move the process forward. So that's what we're trying to communicate to our customers and educate about on our blog and all the content we produce. So I want to challenge you on something because sort of your initial premise was it's hard, but it's not necessarily getting harder. It's just like carte blanche difficult. And all the data that I'm seeing from companies like Outreach, for instance, that has a, a massive, massive data set, and you guys have a massive data set as well, it's taking more emails to get a reply or to get a meeting. And also at the same time, we're hearing advice like you just gave, you need to catch their attention, which is really code for like proof to me that you actually did some homework on me. Yeah, exactly. And this isn't just the same email that went to a thousand people. Yeah. Both of those things are going to raise the cost of the sale of acquisition for sure, right? Because I'm having to send more emails. It takes more time. On average, I'm going to need more prospects in order to get the same results. And 
one of the things that I noticed in what you were saying is it sounds like your advice is very targeted at software products. And it occurs to me that if I have a low priced software product, I'm going to have a major problem, which is there's no way I, my lifetime value will be high enough to justify my acquisition cost. Fair enough. So yeah, I got several points here. First, email outreach is just not for everyone. So outreach isn't necessarily for everyone. I mean, if you, there are a lot of channels to acquire customers and you, def, you need to find what works best for you, for your industry, for the industry of your customers, for lots of things. But sending emails isn't necessarily hard. It doesn't necessarily take a lot of, take up a lot of time. I mean, we pretty much hate doing that. We pretty much hate prospecting. And that's why we built a tool to automate that shit. We built Prospectio to automate all that. And yeah, I want to come back to something else I said before, like sending more emails. Yeah, definitely. We always advise our customers to have campaigns with like at least, with generally three to five steps because most responses tend to come between the second and the fifth step. And really for me, that's a given. I'm not sending a campaign that has less than five steps, whatever the outreach is, because people sometimes they overlook an email, sometimes they don't have time or they think it's something else or... So yeah, and if you really truly believe that there's value in what you have to bring to the customer, to the prospect, then there's nothing wrong in pushing and insisting as long as you're bringing value in every email you're sending. So yeah, I'm all for following up and that's something we teach our customers to do. I don't think it only applies to software companies. For example, I'm going to say one of the first businesses I worked on and with, which is my dad's business. He sells gluten-free food online, pretty much. He started doing B2C and now he's doing B2B. So he's not doing software. He probably can code for shit, but he's doing e-commerce. And when he wants to try to, to go to, to go B2B, now he sells to, to hotels and companies like that. And yeah, it works pretty much the same. You reach out to them because... Actually, okay, that's the thing. It's necessary for software companies. It's for companies that can have like a high revenue per sale or high high profit per sale. doesn't matter if it's software or not, because in every case, you're going to have to reach out to grab grab their attention, show that you're trustworthy. And basically, sales as a general idea works pretty much the same across every industry. Some industries will have more complex cycles with like three, six months. Some are shorter. And yeah, that should be reflected in your price. I mean, if you have a six-month sales cycle for a product that's $25 a month, then there's a problem with your pricing <laughs> or your product. Or, so, or people just don't want it, I would say. Yeah, or people just don't want it, which is why you should be working on your product. So I don't think it's expensive to do email outreach. When I say it's not for everyone, it's just that some strategies work and depends on the Sometimes it doesn't work because, you know, there's something you haven't thought about or there are so many variables. It's very, very hard to just say, hey, this will work for you because if one method worked, you know, in every case, the job would, wouldn't be inter- interesting and everyone would just follow guidelines. And uh, Right. We wouldn't have to have this discussion. Everybody would already know what to do. Yeah, definitely. First of all, I hope your dad's not listening to this podcast because you just... He wouldn't be offended. <laughs> so we talked about a very product oriented business. So software company or your dad selling, going through channel sales, 
or larger clients in order to buy gluten-free products. Most of the people listening to this are in client service businesses. And so they're providing some sort of service or a service layer associated with a software product. Now, it's such a trust-based business that I think two things sort of bubble up for me when I think about email outreach. One is I really need to go out of my way to develop trust quickly. And I think some of the things you said around testimonials, case studies, proof points, demonstrating your credibility, those are important. But the second thing is there's sort of higher stakes for blowing it because you once you break trust, it's hard to get it back. Yeah, of course. What do you see from your client base for people who are in service-based businesses, whether it's marketing services or legal, like there's all kinds of professional services. And I know email is still an attractive way for them to acquire new clients. Is your advice slightly different for those types of businesses? No. One of our first and biggest customers is a company based out here in Belgium. They're a big video production studio. They have like a few dozens of reps They're doing cold outreach pretty much. And yeah, we've done some training with them. And yeah, they've been using the product for since basically since we launched a couple of years back. It's pretty much the same. And especially, you know, in media production where it can be real expensive, real fast. I think that's a, it's still a good business to be doing there. So I don't think that the general framework would change. Okay, cool. Well, you heard it here first. Try email outreach. So I've used your product and many like it. I think it's fantastic. I've been using it for many years. But one thing I noticed from your product and others is that it's becoming harder and harder to get valid email addresses mm-hmm. yeah. and therefore preserve my deliverability. So I'm using another layer now where I'm verifying the email addresses. In addition, I know you have built-in verification, but I'm running it through another third-party app. And what I'm finding is about half of the email addresses that I get are valid. Why is that? And, and sort of, is it going to continue to get harder as corporations don't allow you to validate all the email addresses? I'm going to answer as best I can because this is something the developers are, are involved in and I don't know all the technical specifics. I'm just going to answer the, the, to the best of, of my knowledge. So yeah, for a while we had our first extension because that's how, that's how it works. That's how we find email addresses. We have a Google Chrome extension that finds email addresses on professional social media or company websites. And that was the first version. And it was mostly trying to find an email address on a certain domain or testing a first name, last name, company combination, like, hey, initial, last name, or first name, last name and everything. So yeah, at some point we saw we needed more quality email addresses. So now we've integrated with Clearbit and other databases to yeah increase the quality of the emails and also there's something we we've had for a while and it pretty much puts more power into the hands of the users and that's the verification level so you can choose what email quality you want so if you set your quality for 15 percent you're going to have more emails but we cannot guarantee the quality of the emails Maybe the email will be expired or maybe we found the email but could not verify it, but we found that it existed at some point. Or you can send it, send, set it very high at 90% and 
we will give you emails that we found and verified. And if you put it 100%, it will only return email addresses that have recently received an email from a Prospect.io account and that we, for which we have like an actual true verification with the, so yeah, it is hard. And that's why we, yeah, remodeled and redesigned. On that note, maybe the theme of this is that email keeps getting more expensive. So based on what you said, here's been my experience, right? When I go through LinkedIn, I'm, I'm using your plugin, which I guess I'm not supposed to say publicly. I, I don't know how you guys stand on that, but let's not even cover that, that whole thing. <laughs> As you wish. But I, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm using Sales Navigator, and let's say I do a search that surfaces 200 people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to set the email rating at 90% or greater because I want to preserve my deliverability, right? I'm also doing one-to-many marketing emails and I want to make sure those get delivered too. And so my cold outreach is going to affect my overall deliverability score. What I find is if I'm ratcheting up the verification or the, I guess, quality score, is that what you guys call it? What do you call it? Uh, verification level. But. Verification level, right. So if I ratchet that up to 90% or more, what I'm finding is if I have 200 prospects and I'm trying to grab all of their emails, it's only giving me about 20 to 40% of those on average. And so that's going to net me 40 to 80 email addresses when I had 200 people in my pool. Now, it's going to be more and more and more effort, right? It's just going to continue to get more difficult is the way I see it. Are you guys seeing a trend in how relatively easy or difficult it is to verify these emails? I can't really tell if it's getting easier or because we're constantly working on improving the extension and the ways we find email. So it's not like we're like standing still and seeing it get get harder or easier because it's it's like in constant motion. So why don't we turn now to a totally different question, which is the strategy. So let's say you said three to five emails is kind of the length of the sequence you guys recommend. Is there anything I should be doing with the people who don't reply? And that's going to be the overwhelming majority if we're doing this at any level of scale. Should I just not contact them again? Or what do I do now? Again, depending on your industry or your product and everything, I guess in your life, you know, in the last email of the sequence, you could say, hey, maybe this is not a right fit for you at the moment. I'll get in touch later to see if things change. I'm on the side of if you don't get a hard no or not a response at all, yeah, you should contact them again later. The only thing is if you're contacting them like three, six months later, just make sure their email address is still valid and that they, they don't they haven't switched jobs since then. Right. <laughs> because emails tend to go bad real quick. That's one thing. That's one of the difficulties we face when finding email addresses is that people change jobs all the time. Well, especially in software, I I don't know how accurate this still is, but at one time, the average tenure of a Google employee was 1.1 years, which just blows the mind. (laughs) So (laughs) imagine how much they spend on training and hiring (laughs) to keep people for 1.1 years. I noticed in one of your articles, you talked a lot about list segmentation, which I think is great because it allows us to give much more targeted information to the people receiving our emails. What's your approach to how you think about creating segments within your email list? The thing is, you're going to segment based on 
the end you need, you need to have in mind when you segment a list is that it's going to give you the ability to tailor the message that you're going to send. So you could totally segment by industry size, by location, by so many things. So, well, the short answer is it depends on what you're selling and on your industry. I'm going to say that your list should be segmented in a way that you can personalize your emails enough to show that you've done your homework. That's pretty much it. Because in the end, that's your goal, to show that you've done your homework and that you're offering something relevant. And sometimes one criteria is enough, sometimes you need more. But yeah, that totally depends. It depends on you, on your industry. So for example, you could be, especially if you have a software that could be aimed at a lot of a lot of companies across various industries. So in that case, you may want to segment by industry and company size. If you're targeting hospitality industry, you want to target it, you want to segment by season. I mean, when is winter in that area? When is winter in that area? Because you're targeting places that are more most active because they're they're like ski resorts. Yeah, that's something you need you need, you need to find out with the industry or uh, your uh, yeah the golden rule is to segment so that you can address uh, a personalized message. That's pretty much it. One thing I would add to that is if you, dear listener, are looking at taking an account-based approach, so especially for mid-market or enterprise sales, you're going to be contacting multiple people at each account. One thing I would recommend you do is look at job titles and departmental functions. So if you have a sale that involves both marketing and finance and HR, you're going to have different messaging to each of those groups. And you're going to have different messaging to the VP versus the director or say manager also. So you may think about looking at job titles and departmental functions. Let's talk LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do that. It's a product I love to hate. <laughs> it's amazing because they have such great data and they do such an absolutely shitty job of making software, in my opinion, because it's just a pain to use. But I'm wondering, I know that Prospect is a layer that can sit on top of LinkedIn and I can find contact info, but I notice you've talked a lot about social selling and I'm sure you get asked about it all the time. I'm wondering, how do you see LinkedIn as a communication channel playing a role in my prospecting? So on the one hand, we can go out and get in anyone's email address or many people's email addresses. But on the other hand, I can actually go to LinkedIn and communicate and do stuff with people. But how do you see LinkedIn as a communication channel, maybe in concert with your email tool? Well, I think LinkedIn is a huge bonus. The thing is, not everybody spends time on LinkedIn. So if you can reach out by email and during the process, befriend them on LinkedIn and interact there, it's just a great bonus because it's less formal. You can communicate with shorter messages and emojis or in share content in a more casual way. So yeah, it's definitely a, a great way to... Uh, and also when you send an email, sometimes if you're wondering if you're sounding too business-like, interacting on LinkedIn is going to soften some and make it more friendly. And uh, all the data points to the fact that people don't buy because the salesman is friendly, but it helps in building a relationship, being top of mind on every platform. And you now when they log in on LinkedIn, they have a message from you. They get an email from you in their inbox. And as long as they're not harassing them, it's a great combination. We're all for multi-channel approaches. 
So one challenge I've seen with using LinkedIn, and I'm going to come back to what you said about people don't buy because salespeople are friendly. There's a lot of nuance in that one. <laughs> yeah, of course. But let's LinkedIn as a communication platform. So the stats show that the average LinkedIn user only comes to LinkedIn like every other week, which I'd say, let's pull that out for a second. That means most people don't log into LinkedIn ever. And some people log in like every month or two and others are there every single day, right? And they skew the statistics dramatically. Do you guys recommend or even actually, let me ask you this internally, do you guys use in messages or sales navigator type messages in order to get a hold of prospects? Maybe some of your higher value accounts. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. We haven't done outbound sales in a while. Okay. This is something we did at the beginning and it's something my boss did a lot when he was starting out with his previous companies because he had previous businesses in which he did a lot of outreach. And, uh, but it's not something we're doing now because I'm basically the only person acquiring customers. But I use LinkedIn for other things because when I was hired here, I was hired mostly to do content. And to do content, I wanted to involve as many influencers as I could. And I sent a lot of cold emails to get them to be featured in an article or to give me some feedback. And yeah, I find that using email and combining it with email was a pretty good way to do that because these influencers, yeah, I'm going to call them influencers. They're on LinkedIn pretty much all the time because that's where they're sharp content. And that's because Twitter is basically horrible for that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just terrible. So, and also on LinkedIn, I mean, the engagement is higher quality, of course. So yeah, definitely when I had to get a hold of these people, I would log into LinkedIn, find their email address, shoot them an email. Uh, at the same time, I would uh, check out their articles, leave a few comments and keep coming back and interacting with their content and sending an email. It's just like, hey, I read that article you, you, you wrote and I couldn't catch you in the comments. So hey, here's my take on it. And for some back and forth, you know, hey, would you maybe like to be featured in that article of mine I'm writing about that subject specifically? And same to get guest, guest blogging spots. I guess it's sales as well about kind of selling content. Well, if I could translate the spirit of what you're saying, it, it sounds like, LinkedIn is more of a place for getting to know people and doing a, a lot of things other than sales. And that's been my experience. And I think LinkedIn is having a big problem, which I've been hinting at with email also throughout this episode, which is a lot of people are going there and selling shit in a really blatant way where obviously they haven't put any time to you and they're like, hey, do you need more leads? Like, I don't know how many times you've gotten that message, but I get that. Yeah. Anybody who has lead gen in their title now, I won't accept their request because I know it's coming next, right? Yeah. I think it's having that problem, but I still find like this podcast, right? I found you on LinkedIn, got your email address using prospect.io, of course. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> and then I believe I sent you a connection request, but definitely sent you an email. And that's how we connected. And it's still the best place to do research in my opinion, but communication I'm finding is becoming a little bit more of a challenge as it gets noisier. Yeah. And LinkedIn is also great to, you know, when you want to reach out to someone, even if you're going to send an email, spending some time on their LinkedIn is like one of the best ways to find out what's of interest to them. And it helps you personalize the message. 
and in an unintrusive way because you're not looking at their Facebook profile and scrolling to their family pictures and everything. You're finding out what they're interested in and what their challenges are like on the professional level and not just professional challenges, like what they're interested about in the business sphere. Excellent. So another question about LinkedIn. So social selling, right? I saw one of the articles that you were quoted in and you were talking about how it's really important to give much more before asking. And I totally agree with that. And sometimes it can feel like you're screaming into the Grand Canyon and there's like no one responding, right? It's like, yeah. hey, I'm putting out all this stuff that I thought was good and some people are commenting on it, but it's not generating any leads. This is one of the number one questions I get asked with content marketing in general, but especially social selling. People are like, yeah, 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 I get it. I'm supposed to give first. How do I know when I've given enough? And also, do I ask a particular person or do I do put out an ask to my network? Like, how do I ask for something in return? Well, the thing is, you should not give and expect anything. You should be giving because that's what you do. Ah, but isn't this business? I'm not running a nonprofit, right? No, 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 no. Of course. Elaborate. And giving should be an ongoing process. That's the idea. And when you need something, just ask for it because you've been giving for months or years. Because if you go to the approach like, okay, I need this from that person. So I'm going to give and then I'm going to go and ask. Well, Gary Vaynerchuk has this, well, it's the title of, of one of his books. It's like jab, 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 right hook. So like go with offer like three times and then just go in and, and ask, but don't expect anything. Just give. And if you want to ask something, just ask, but don't ask because you've given, just ask because you have something to ask, something to say, you have something to express, uh, you need something. And you're just going to ask because, you know, there's nothing wrong in asking. You can always ask because the worst that can happen, you know, is someone's going to say no. So you shouldn't be af afraid to ask. But at the same time, you should be, you know, in an ongoing process to give. You're being a good sport because I'm asking you some of the hardest questions to answer. <laughs> I appreciate you trying. And now I'll try to add the way I look at it because there's no simple answer, obviously. Yeah, of course. The way I would look at it is, first of all, it's not a direct response channel. So yeah. social media, if you need fast results, doing social selling probably isn't the way to do it. Doing something like a direct response kind of email, the way you were describing earlier, where you're just asking for the meeting immediately might be a better approach for you if you want faster results. I'd also say that the right amount of giving is much more, probably 50 to 100% more than you think is enough. And at the point you feel exhausted because you've given so much, then you can start asking. And this is more of a brand marketing way of approaching thing. Yes, it is. Isn't that interesting? We call it social selling, but it really is more of an awareness and brand marketing play. Yeah, but you should enjoy the giving process. Actually, if you're only producing content because you want to ask something in return, it's not going to be sustainable because you're not going to like it. You're just going to be like, you know, I'm giving, I'm producing content, I'm commenting on, on his posts and I'm still not getting anything. You have to enjoy it because if you're just doing it for what you're going to get in the end, you're not going to be able to do it for more than a few weeks. Totally agree. I mean, for instance, like, I don't know if anybody's going to respond to this podcast, but I'm enjoying talking to you. And so that's enough for me, right? If one person got something out of this, it would be well worth it. That's just how you should look at it. I mean, you should do it because that's something 
you get a kick out of. And if no one's interested, well, that's fine. I am. And if someone is interested, great. Then I'm going to be able to make some business. All right. So let's have some fun for a second and go a little bit off topic. So I see that you're into music and I'm going to hold this up for you here. This is great for radio, but I have an Ableton push in front of me. I make hip hop and electronic music. And I was recently thinking about what lessons I've learned from creating great content through music and like, how do I apply that to business? And I see that you're a drum tutor and a drum teacher. And so I'll go first, but one of the lessons I've learned through, especially writing rap music, I'm a rapper also, I'm sure you could tell that by looking at me. (laughs) One of the things that I've learned is there's so much more to communication than the content of the words we're saying. So when you're listening to a rapper, right, there's the cadence, the rhythm, there's pauses and voids that they create for emphasis. There's their inflection, there's tonality, there's timber, there's effects. There's all of these different things that contribute to the overall emotion and message that people are going to take away from it. So I'd open it up to you. What is a lesson you've learned in music that you apply to your marketing? Generally, I tend to apply marketing to music to promote my band and everything. That's generally more more the way it goes. One thing I learned from music and I apply to marketing is that the visual aspect matters a lot. If you're doing music, but you have a horrible album cover and you're not showing anything on stage and just producing sound, it's not going to go well or, or go very far. And in marketing, if you have great content, but the presentation is terrible and you're just like, hey, just dropping like huge bits of text without, you know, cutting them, putting fun images or interesting images and in a nice design or something readable that makes people want to engage even before they started reading the content, then yeah, that's better. Here's what I would say. One lesson I would take out of being a rhythm musician as you are is in sales and in music, timing is everything. Oh, nice one. I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind. Well, my friend, you have been a very good sport. I've asked you some very difficult questions. <laughs> and I just challenged. And now let me open it up to you. If someone wanted to learn more about you or prospect.io, what should they do? Where should they go? Everyone's free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to chat with pretty much everyone. And yeah, if you're interested in prospect.io or the content we produce or the cold email course we have, just come to prospect.io. Also, something we don't always broadcast, like, but our cold email course is, it's $19, but it's free for all of our customers. Because if you're a customer of ours, we want to make sure you get the best education about cold emailing. And yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. And if you're interested in, uh, you know, Skype drum lessons, just hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You are the first guest to offer that. So (laughs) thank you. And all of those things that you mentioned, those are linked in the show notes. So listener, if you want to follow up with Forrester for drum lessons, or if you want the cold email course or anything that he mentioned, all of those things are linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure.